I received an un- unusual text Friday. It was from one of my best friends, not only in ministry, but just in life. Uh, his name is uh, Jim Morrow. He is the pastor of Glenville United Methodist Church. We've known each other since our time in, uh, my time in Vidalia. He was serving in Lyons, and so we became good friends there. So first of all, I get this unusual, uh, it, it's not unusual to get a text from Jim. We text all the time. We meet every week for lunch uh, unless a conflict comes up. But the subject of the text was unusual. I'm just going to read the text for you. I have a strange prayer request, Jim writes, but I'd like, for you, I'd like to ask you to pray for it anyway. A mechanic says they can't get a spark plug out, referring to his car. I asked them to try again in 90 minutes. So I am asking you to pray for the Lord to release that spark plug. <laughs> he goes on to write, weird? Question mark. Yes. Worth praying for? Question mark. I believe so. Then he ends with, by the way, this is a group text. It's then that I noticed that this text was indeed sent to five other people. So seven people, seven total people were in on this prayer request. Now, as I said, Jim and I are, he's one of my best friends. And so I know his heart. I know his heart. Um, And I know that if he's asking for prayers, uh, even for a, a spark plug, this spark plug must be a big deal. No further explanation is needed. That's it. I'm good. I text back, I'm praying, and that's exactly what I did right then. I stopped and I prayed. Uh, I'm assuming the five other people did that as well. Only one of them responded. But in the back of my mind, probably like you're doing right now, you're thinking, as I thought, okay, Jim, I'm praying for this spark plug, but as you said, this is a weird thing to ask for. Well, I point you to the picture on the screen. Along with this picture, I received the following text approximately 90 minutes later. Jim writes, this spark plug is a testimony to prayer. Mechanic and crew spent the morning trying to pull this out. It was cross-threaded. They threw everything they had at it. It wouldn't budge. Finally, they called it a lost cause. They called and told me that they'd have to pull the engine to get it out, and doing so might damage the cylinder. Between that and some other work being done, we were talking about replacing the entire engine completely. The guy was going to spend the afternoon looking for options between new and reconditioned ones. I asked him to try again in 90 minutes. I asked you to join me in prayer. I went up to the shop at the appointed time, to see it in action. When I walked in, he said, we just got it out. Jib ended his text with, I'm keeping this spark plug. And I just would add, I would too. Now, do I believe that prayer got this spark plug out? Absolutely. Do I believe that prayer works for every car repair we have? Not necessarily. For some reason, God wanted to use this moment, just like Jim described it, as a testimony. You see, what I'm hoping this story 
has done and will do, and perhaps this sermon and this series that we're entering into, is that in your heart and soul, that in your heart and soul you will begin to slowly develop a desire for prayer. Prayer is our way of communicating with our Heavenly Father, our Creator. It's the most powerful way that we have to build on that relationship with our Heavenly Father, with our God. And so I want us to be a people of prayer. And so I want us to learn how to pray. Now, for some of us, it might uh, feel kind of embarrassing to admit, and so you're probably not going to admit, that we need to learn how to pray. We've been, you know, we've been Christians most of our lives. We've been going to church most of our lives. You've, you've heard countless sermons on prayer. Of course you know how to pray. But I'd say it's okay to admit that we still need to learn how to pray. It's okay to admit that sometimes our minds wander when we try to sit down and pray. That doesn't ever happen to you, right? It's okay to admit that sometimes we get too busy and we forget to make time to pray. You've gone through a whole day. You've gone through a whole week. And you look back and, man, I never made time to pray. The first step to learning is admitting that you have more to learn. And we see that in our passage from Luke. We read that Jesus was off praying at a certain place. We don't know where. We're not given those details in our, in our passage. We aren't sure if he's alone while praying. But we do know that the disciples weren't far away. Verse 1 says, when, he, when Jesus finished praying, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. So we have a situation where the disciples have seen Jesus pray. This isn't the first time they've seen him go off and pray. But when Jesus finishes and he returns, they want to learn themselves how to pray. They want to be given the same pattern and model of praying that Jesus is using in his own prayer life. Now, this wasn't a completely unusual request from the disciples. Each Jewish rabbi, which is the word for teacher, who took students known as disciples, who took disciples' students under his wing, that rabbi would teach his students a particular model or form of prayer. That would be their school's pattern of prayer. So when the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples, they're referring to John the Baptist. And so John, apparently, well, John, he did have disciples, and apparently he taught them a certain form, a certain pattern, a certain model of prayer. And so Jesus' disciples wanted to learn from Jesus how he wanted them to pray. And because we are also Jesus' disciples, we should have the same desire in our hearts and our souls to learn from Jesus how to pray. And fortunately for those first disciples and for us, Jesus gives us a model of prayer. Jesus said to them, and he says to us, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now you'll notice that that prayer is somewhat different than the one that we pray every Sunday morning. Different manuscripts found of the Gospels have the, the other parts of what we pray 
in, on Sunday mornings and, and, and as a, a community. Um, but what we have in Luke are three verses of Scripture, five sentences, nothing secret or hard about it. That's it. It's that simple. This is the model and pattern of prayer Jesus has given us, his disciples, for how to pray. Now, we're going to spend the next four weeks breaking this prayer down and how it helps uh, form our own prayers and our own prayer life. We're going to use the word pray, P-R-A-Y. See, it's going to be simple. You got this, okay? P-R-A-Y. This comes from a man, uh, his name is Pete Gregg. Uh, I have had the fortunate opportunity of hearing him speak twice at a conference that I attend every year. He's from England, and he is the head of the 24-7 prayer movement, where there are groups now all over the world, started in England, but they're all over the world, and they are committed to praying 24-7. So you sign up for time slots. Uh, during the day, and there's someone praying at 1 o'clock in the morning and 2 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the morning all in groups all over the world. And so he recently wrote a book called How to Pray. <laughs> well, there you go, man. How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. I saw the title of that book. I said, man, that book is for me. Um, um, and, I, I mean, and so uh, I'm a normal person. I need to learn how to pray. Um, I needed this book, and so I decided that we as a church needed this as well. And what Pete has done is he's taken the Lord's Prayer, and he's taken the word pray, and he's given us an easy-to-remember way of prayer. So P stands for pause. P stands for pause. This is probably going to be the hardest part for each one of us. Just to pause, to be still to listen, to quiet your mind. You ever done that? That is incredibly hard to do. R stands for rejoice. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. A stands for ask. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. And then Y stands for yield. Forgive us and lead us. Amen. Yield may very well try to compete with Paul's for the most difficult part of this prayer. Beginning and end may be the biggest, hardest. P-R-A-Y, pause, rejoice, ask, and yield. The goal of this series, the goal of Pete's book, is to turn our sporadic prayer life, our, you know, uh, one day we're praying, one week we're praying, the next we're not to turn our sporadic prayer life into something that is transformational, that transforms our relationship with God and also becomes a daily routine. And in order to do that, we need to make our prayer life easy and enjoyable. Easy and enjoyable. Those are great words, right? Easy and enjoyable? Especially if you're starting from nothing. Like if you're here this morning, you're like, Alan, my prayer life, it is absolutely zero, nothing. Absolutely. So if you're starting from nothing, you need to make your prayer life easy. Going from nothing to trying to get up an hour before dawn to have continuous unbroken prayer, that's probably not going to last very long. So 
here's the deal. Begin by just finding 15 minutes of your day. Just find 15 minutes of your day during a convenient time in a conducive place. I don't know if you got lunch break. Spend, if you got an hour lunch break or whatever you have, just take 15 minutes of that and find a place to just pray. Maybe it's at breakfast or maybe it's after the kids are in, in bed. Just take 15 minutes and start doing that. And what you might find is that 15 minutes begins to spill over past 15 minutes. And you know what? Psychologists say that if we do something for two months, it becomes a lifelong habit. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? So make your prayer life easy. Make it enjoyable. Remember, it is a privilege to discuss your life and your concerns and your requests before your Heavenly Father. It's a privilege. So whether you're sipping coffee or, you know, you're, you're rocking on the back porch or you're walking your dog, whatever, while you pray, make it enjoyable. I don't know about you, but we typically don't keep doing things that aren't fun, right? I'm not going to keep doing something that's not fun, so make your prayer life enjoyable. Make it fun. So here's what I want us to do as a church. Just as we kind of launch into 2020, as we get this series rolling, as we learn how to pray, here's what I want you to do. It's something I've been doing for the last couple of months. As we begin to learn how to pray, let's just use the model Jesus gave us. What a novel idea, right? Let's just use what he gave us. He said, when you pray, say the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together as a congregation. So every day at noon, that's the deal. Every day at noon, maybe you need to set an alarm on your phone or in your calendar or whatever it takes. But every day at noon, let's just stop and say the Lord's Prayer. Woo, I just get chills thinking about all of us stopping at noon and saying, saying the Lord's Prayer. Nobody else? Just me? Okay. Jesus has given us the model and the words. Let's just start there. You know, and at the beginning, as you get going, you may just be saying the words. I mean, some of us, honestly, on Sunday mornings, we're just saying the words, right? Okay, you don't want to admit it. That's fine. Sometimes we just say the words, and sometimes we just have to start by saying the words. We just start by saying the words. But over time, I hope that you're going to say them more slowly more deliberately, and the more you become familiar with it, the more you're going to pause, the more you're going to rejoice, the more you're going to ask, and the more you're going to yield. Will you join me every day at noon in praying the Lord's Prayer? Can you just give me an amen? All right, there we go. Even if you didn't mean it. You just said it. Let's just do that. Let's just do that as a congregation. Every day at noon. I want to close with this story. So I began with an unusual prayer request. And I want to end with an unusual place of prayer. It comes directly from Pete Gregg's uh, book. It's the story of Susanna Wesley. It's the mother of Methodism. John uh, Wesley's mother, John uh, and Charles. All the, John, who's the founder of uh, the Methodist movement. Charles, who wrote most of the hymns in your hymnal their mother, Susanna. The health of Susanna Wesley, who was known as the mother of Methodism, was poor. Her marriage to a penniless preacher was deeply dysfunctional. 
And she lost nine children in infancy. Nine. And raised ten more, almost single-handedly. Their home was burned down twice. Her husband was in prison twice. And yet her simple, honest, persevering prayers undoubtedly changed the world. Susanna Wesley proved herself to be a formidable leader long before her sons John and Charles rose to fame. When her husband, the rector of Epworth Parish Church, was in prison for financial mismanagement and his replacement in the pulpit failed miserably to preach the gospel, Susanna took matters into her own hands. She launched a Sunday school in the kitchen for her children, but it began to attract so many of their neighbors that the meeting quickly uh, reconvened in the barn. Before long, 200 people were gathering every Sunday to listen to Susanna reading sermons, to sing psalms, and to pray. Meanwhile, the church building nearby languished almost empty. Susanna gave her children six hours of schooling a day, educating her daughters the same as her sons, plus an additional hour a week of undivided attention with each of her children. Super mom. How on earth did she do all this? How did she survive the loss of nine children, the heartbreak of a volatile marriage without becoming broken and bitter? And how did she manage such frenetic household while also establishing a Sunday school and educating ten children, two of whom would rise to the heights of international influence? Susanna Wesley was preeminently a woman of prayer. It was as she waited on the Lord each day that her strength was renewed again and again. But none of this was easy. There was nowhere at home she could hide to pray. So whenever Susanna wanted time with the Lord, listen to this, she would pull her apron over her head. This was her prayer room. And her children knew that she was not to be disturbed. In this way, she would pour her heart out to God, mourning her lost babies interceding for her infuriating husband and praying for each of her children by name. Such simple maternal prayers whispered daily beneath an apron could hardly have been answered more powerfully. Susanna Wesley exemplifies the world-changing power of simple, persevering prayer. Finding herself called to make disciples not of distant nations, but of her own little tribe at home, she applied herself to the task tirelessly. And by praying faithfully for those ten children, Susanna Wesley, a housewife with a hard life from a small town in rural England, became the mother of some 80 million Methodists in more than 130 nations today. The power of prayer is real. Sometimes it's prayer for a spark plug, and sometimes it's prayer underneath an apron in the middle of chaos all around. We can pray anywhere for anything, for our Heavenly Father is always, always listening. Make it easy, make it enjoyable, and join with me at noon every day as we pray the model that Jesus has given us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, again, your desire to, to communicate with us, to hear us, to be with us. May we have that same desire. May we have a desire to learn 
Um, even if we don't think we have anything to learn, may we be open to hearing what you would have to say to us. May we be a people who know and learn how to pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.